We're going to be in Luke 11 this morning, and I want to talk to you about prayer. Really, I want to learn together about prayer from Jesus with you all. Um, and so we're going to be in Luke 11, the first few verses there. Luke, remember, was a physician, and he learned about Jesus. He interviewed people and wrote this gospel of Luke, and then later he was part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. There's this curious place in Acts where the, the pronouns change, and Luke stops saying they, and then he says we. So he was with the Apostle Paul and part of these journeys, and so Luke and Acts are like volume one, volume two. Who is Jesus? How does this church get birthed? What, what's God doing in the world? Okay, so in Luke 11, uh, this is what the Word of God says to us, beginning at verse 1. It says, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And, and then now Jesus tells two very curious little parable stories. Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you has a friend, uh, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in the bed. And I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks find, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Second parable here. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together real quick before we jump in. Father, it is apparent that you are here with us. And we just sang these amazing songs about the gospel. And now, Lord, from your word, you're teaching us about prayer. And prayer is hard. But, Lord, we desperately need, I need, we need to be a praying people. And so I pray that as we study this this morning, that you would grab our attention, that you would grab our hearts, and that you would help us to want to be the sort of people that regularly draw near to you, trust you, and pour out our hearts before the God of the universe who loves to condescend and to be with us. And so, Lord, help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, there's a pastor who's now with Jesus uh, named Peter Lord, and I don't honestly know much about him, but I know he used to live in Florida, and he was one of these pastors that kind of like affected some pastors that affected me. Uh, but he's got a book called Hearing God, and he begins with this story in Hearing God. It's, it's really unique. He says, during a wedding reception at our home some years ago, I stepped outside for a moment 
to escape the crowd and the noise. And there on the small path, leading from the front door to our driveway, was one of the ushers, head cocked. He was peering intently at the plantings beside the walk. So Peter Lord walks out. This usher's there looking at these bushes. He's like, what's up? He said a half whispered, trying to see what he was looking at and wondering what new escapade maybe that he was planning with the other groomsmen for this bride and groom. And he said, Mr. Lord, do you know that you have 18 different types of crickets in those bushes? And he was like, crickets? He said, I stared at him. He's like, I'd never even consciously noticed that there were crickets there. Like I'd never even heard a cricket in those bushes. Never, never crossed my mind. And he says, but he, a graduate student in entomology at the University of Florida, had, listen to this, this is crazy. He had learned to distinguish over 200 different types of cricket calls with his natural ear. That blows my mind. 200? He says, listen, can you imagine trying to learn how to listen to crickets? And then he said, it suddenly dawned on me that a person learns how to hear. And that hearing can be developed. A hearing ear can be developed. And he said, I realized suddenly that there were many sounds that I was not hearing. And then he compares that to hearing God, to prayer. Now, in, in these verses we just read, it begins with, with this verse. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. In fact, his, his disciples had seen him pray many times. If you go through Luke up until this time, he had often broken away to pray. He had prayed at his baptism. Jesus was a praying guy, and they were following him, and they were seeing him pray. And then here in verse 1 it says, they saw him praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. The Bidi Anyabwile says this request from his disciples means that prayer is not something learned automatically. Prayer is not natural. I find that comforting. Effective prayer has to be taught and learned. And so if you find yourself out there and you go, I'm not, I'm not very good at this prayer thing. Me too. Join the club. You know, like it's not natural. It's not easy. Sometimes we prevail in it. Sometimes it seems very difficult. And praying is actually something we have to learn how to do. And that as we practice it, we can become better at it. And so Jesus here gives us the model prayer. He teaches his disciples how to pray. His disciples how to pray. And us how to pray. Now, this is very common, and when things are very, you've heard them a bunch, they can almost be passe, and you can kind of be like, yeah, yeah, been there, heard that, know that, known that since I was five. Great preacher. You know, so let's, let's try not to do that. Let's clue in and try to see how Jesus tells us how to pray. Now, we could recite this prayer, and in a lot of traditions we do that, um, but it's also at the same time a model prayer. It's not so much that we repeat these exact words, but that Jesus is trying to teach us what sort of prayers honor him, how we ought to draw near to the Father, okay? So there's five parts in this first thing, and, then, and we're going to look at those briefly, and then we're going to dive into these two parables at the end and see what Jesus says about that. But the first thing is that he begins, and he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Now here's what's shocking about that, is that Jesus was probably speaking Hebrew or Aramaic originally when he said this, and so that word Father is actually the word 
Abba, which you may be familiar with. It's, it's similar to our word, Daddy. But at that time, there were no Jewish rabbis at all that we have any record of who ever would have cried out to God or called to God and called him Abba because it was an intimate, personal term. This is, this is brand new stuff that Jesus is teaching us. And he says to his disciples, first thing, rule number one, when you pray to God, you approach him as a perfect, loving father. And you are his son and daughter, and he deeply loves you. You have intimacy with this God. So I often think of this, that Jesus at his baptism, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if we're in Christ, he speaks that over us. Despite all our sins and shortcomings, he looks at us as a child or a son of God, a son or daughter of God, and he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter, and in you I'm well pleased. That's the gospel. And so Jesus now, when he's teaching us to pray, says, the first thing is, I want you to draw near to God, knowing that he is Abba. And then the next two things is that he teaches us to to first push our prayers towards honoring God and wanting to see God be famous in the universe. He says, pray this, Father, Abba, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come. So when we say, hallowed be your name, what is that? That's a person's reputation. We're praying, God, I want your reputation to be big. I want people to know the true truth about who you are. I often think of this pastor in Nashville named Ray Ortland that you may have heard of. And he, when he planted Emmanuel Church in Nashville, he would often say this. He says, my aim is that the real Jesus would become non-ignorable in Nashville and beyond. What does he mean by that? As Southerners, as, as people in a religious landscape, Christianity can almost just become part of everything. And that's good in a way and it's bad in a way. It's good in a way because we want to raise Christian families and we want them to to be moral people. We want them to be Jesus worshipers. We want to live a great society. That's the good part. The bad part is that a lot of maybe false ideas or ideas that are just a little off that sound Christian can get snuck into Christianity. And we begin worshiping a Jesus that's not the true Jesus. And so Ray says, I want the real Jesus. Not religion, not rules. The real Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins. The one that we can call Abba. I want him to be non-ignorable. And when we say, Father, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, "Ah, God, make yourself hallowed, praised, famous, not ignorable in our lives, in our community, in our families, in this nation, in the world. And so we first draw near to God and we pray those types of prayers. And we say, your kingdom come. Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, his kingdom showed up with him. It says a little bit later in Luke, actually, I think maybe later in this chapter, that that he casts out a demon and, and the Pharisees call him Beelzebul. And he says, that doesn't even work, guys. He says, if I'm casting out demons among you, then the kingdom of God has come among you. 
So when Jesus showed up, the kingdom showed up. And at the same time, we know that the kingdom's not yet fully here. It's still coming. We still await a day. So the kingdom is inaugurated, but it's not yet fully here. We call this the already not yet. Jesus compares it to a mustard seed. He says the kingdom is like a small mustard seed. It begins small and it grows and eventually turns into a huge tree. So right now the kingdom of God is growing amongst us in our lives. Jesus' rule and reign in our lives and in this world is becoming more and more and more of a reality. Whether we see it or not, it's happening, it's growing. The gates of Hades cannot overcome it. And Jesus says, I want you to pray for my name to be hallowed and for my kingdom to come. Okay, and then he moves to petitions. He says our prayers should begin with intimacy. They should begin with lifting up the kingdom of God and the name of God and wanting what God wants. He says, and then we move to what's going on with us. And, and the third thing he says is, give us each day our daily bread. We can almost skip over that one and not really think about it. But Jesus wants us to pray for what we need. Some of us are struggling to pay our bills. He wants us to ask him to help us. He wants us to ask him to help us with the minutest little things. And this is written in a continual present. In other words, we keep asking. It's not like a one-time thing. It's, it's give us this day and give us this day and give us this day. And Jesus, every day I need your help to make it through this life. I need your help to pay our bills, to meet our daily needs. I need your help to know how to deal with this situation going on with my family or, or my workplace or whatever it may be or my neighbor. I need, please give me this day my daily bread. And Father, as I go about in this world, I often make mistakes. And so would you forgive me of my sin? And it's not that as believers we're not already forgiven of our sin. I mean, when we come to trust in Jesus, all our sin is forgiven right there. We're, we're declared justified in his sight. Every sin that we commit, past, present, or future, has already been forgiven. And yet at the same time, Jesus says, because you continue to struggle with sin, and because this side of eternity, we're not yet fully sanctified. We're not, we have not yet put on our glorified bodies. We still struggle with sin. And so Jesus says, as you still struggle with sin, confess your sins to your Father. In fact, it says in 1 John 1, 9, very familiar to us. Written to believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, be those types of people. As you commit sin, as you struggle, confess it to God. And then he says, and, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. And so um, James Edwards says this. He says, believers, this is amazing, believers are not simply objects of forgiveness. They're also conduits of forgiveness, extending to others what God and grace has freely extended to us. How could we, as wretches as people deeply in need of grace not extend grace to others as people deeply forgiven how could we not say I will forgive because I've been forgiven and so Jesus says pray in this way and then he concludes by saying God it, and I was reminded again of what we were singing there's that verse and come thou fount that says prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love 
Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, and we are prone to wander. And so we pray, God, help me. Lead me not into temptation. Help me to be delivered from evil. Help me to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Because when I walk in the fullness of the Spirit, I will not sin as easily. I will not rush after the things of this world. And Jesus says, this is how we ought to pray. And so my question for myself and for us is, how well does Jesus model prayer reflect our prayers? And I'm not saying you've got to pray like every part every time you pray, but I'm just asking a contemplative, like kind of think about it, maybe talk to the Holy Spirit about this. Am I praying the way that I ought to be? Do I need to grow in maturity in my prayer life? Do my prayers need to more closely reflect here what they do now? Okay. So that's point number one. Here's point number two. Our need to persist in prayer. How we ought to pray. Secondly, our need to persist in prayer. And let's look again at the scriptures. So Jesus, verse five, tells this parable. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, you could also translate that audacity, almost rudeness. Because of that, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Now John Piper, and I found this almost comical, says that this picture of prayer in this parable is an utterly unattractive vision of prayer. It's utterly unattractive on the surface of it. What's going on here? What is Jesus saying? So let's put this into common day vernacular. Okay? You've just laid down. And to be frank, you've got to get up pretty early in the morning for work. And you've stayed up way too long watching YouTube videos. And you finally have crawled into bed, and the kids are in bed, and the dog is sleeping. And all of a sudden, about midnight, and you're like, what in the world? Who's at the door? Who's knocking on my door at midnight? So you, you, you grab your phone, you open up your Ring doorbell app <laughs> on video. Who's there? It's next door neighbor. You're like, Robbie, what are you doing, man? It's midnight. And he goes, listen, my, my cousin just arrived from out of town. He flew into Nashville, and I need to go pick him up, and my truck won't start. And so I need you to run me down to the airport to pick him up. Now, that's from where I live, that's 30, 45 minutes at midnight, you know, if I'm putting myself in the shoes to where the airport from my house is. So I'm like, Robbie, it's midnight, bro. I got to get up early in the morning. You got to get up in the early in the morning. Tell your cousin to call an Uber. I'm going to bed. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I need, I need to be the one to pick him up. I can't let him get an Uber. 
I need you to take me. And you're like, it ain't happening. I ain't getting out of bed. See you later. And he goes, okay, but I'm just going to keep knocking until you get up out of bed. Dog's barking. Kids are starting to wake up. You're like, you're so frustrated and irritated. You're like, what is going on? And so finally, just so he will quit knocking because you're so annoyed, you get up and you say, fine, we're going to the airport, driving you down there, don't know why in the world I'm doing this. Boom. Jesus says, that's prayer. John Piper says, that's utterly unattractive, isn't a prayer. But Jesus says, here's the principle. When you pray and you're not getting an answer, doesn't feel like God is answering right away. He says, be reminded in that moment, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And here's what John Piper adds to that. He says, this is prevailing prayer. And he says, by prevailing prayer, I mean hanging in there, persevering, persisting, not giving up, keeping on asking and seeking and knocking at heaven's door until the answer comes or until God says, stop praying. Jesus wants us to persist in our prayers. That's what this parable is about. Are you persisting in your prayers? Do you continue to pray for those people who have not yet come to faith? Do you continue to pray for wisdom about this situation about which you do not know what to do? Do you continue to persist in prayer for our communities and our nation, asking for God to pour out revival upon this land again? Whatever it is God's leading you to persist in, to pray about, will you keep going at that until he answers? But here's the third principle, and this adds a lot of clarity. Third point, trusting God in prayer, or the character of the person to whom we pray. Because we don't need to get it twisted, so to speak, right? God, Jesus, says to persist in prayer, but he's not like this neighbor. He's not like me, going, I ain't taking you, Robbie. He's not like that. And he gives us this third little parable to teach us that. So here's the third parable. What father among you, verse 11, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Abraham Cho, a, a pastor in New York City, says this about this, these verses. He says, what is the one place, what is the one relationship in the world where someone can approach somebody else with this sort of shameless audacity like we just saw in the previous parable? He says, with a persistence that borders on rudeness. He says, I'll give you a hint, it's not your boss. And it's not your neighbor. It's not most relationships you have that you can persist in this way. He says, where's the one relationship where someone can approach another with this kind of impertinence? And he says, it's this. It's a small child with a loving parent. Isn't it? I mean, your kids, especially when they're young, they can just annoy the crud out of you but you still love them to death. 
And so Cho says it used to be his, his custom. He lived in New York. Saturday, grab the New York Times, sit down in this probably ornate, I can imagine, like dad chair, leather-bound chair, cross his legs, put the paper up, leave me alone. I'm just going gonna, gonna to read the paper here. I'm going to enjoy my Saturday off. And he said when his kids were little, he'd be sitting there reading the paper, and one of his kids would literally like stick their head between like the paper in his lap and crawl up into his lap to get between he and the paper and go, and he said, grab his face, put her face right next to his and go, Dad! He says, he says, fearless audacity because we're not dealing with a grumpy neighbor. We're dealing with the God of the universe. And when we ask him, he never gives us a scorpion. He never gives us a rock. He only gives us good things. All blessings come from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no shifting a shadow. And if God is not immediately answering our prayers. It's not because he doesn't hear us. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he's trying to hold out on us. He has a purpose that we don't yet see. We may not even see it in this lifetime. But he is being loving to us. And he's making us for some reason, persist in those prayers. But he is the loving Heavenly Father. He's not evil. He's not the grumpy neighbor. He only knows how to give good gifts to his children. And how much more will he give us the Holy Spirit and answer our prayers if we persist because he loves us? So church, I want to I encourage you if God seems to not be answering your prayers, it's not because he doesn't love you. It is not because he does not hear. He's doing something. Something that perhaps we cannot understand or something that we will perhaps not understand until sometime in the future. But one thing is sure, he only gives good gifts to his children. We are deeply loved. And we know that for those who love God and are called together according to his purpose, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And so do we, church, pray to God with fearless audacity, knowing that he only and always gives good gifts to his children? Do we believe that God loves us like a perfect heavenly father? All three of these points, we ought to pray this way, we ought to persist, we need to know the character to whom we pray. These, these are all invitations to have fresh faith for us. Sometimes it's not easy to pray as we ought to. Sometimes we don't feel like praying. Sometimes we're not even sure if we know what we think about God. Sometimes we're sick of persisting. Sometimes we doubt that God is really a good God. But Jesus says, he is. And so he invites us to have fresh faith and to pray to a perfect heavenly father. And so I just want to invite, give that invitation to you. 
how does your prayer life need to maybe change or your attitude toward prayer need to change? And as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, just if you need to confess something, confess it. If you maybe need to tell a friend, tell a friend. But let's be people of prayer who, who put fresh faith in Jesus daily. And then, and then here's the last question. Maybe you're here and you know you're checking this Christianity thing out. Or maybe you've been playing a game and been here for a while, but you know like you're not yet a believer. There's not been that day where you for sure have passed from death to life, where you know that Jesus has become your Lord and Savior. And so all this prayer stuff and this intimacy stuff, it doesn't make sense. You've never experienced it. And so God is asking you today, would you like to trust in him for the very first time? Romans uh, 8.29 says it this way, very common verse. But it just says this. It says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so if you've never been saved, if you've never come into true life, new life with Jesus, if you've never been born again, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. To pray, to call out to God and say, I believe that Jesus is Lord God, come into my life and change me and forgive me and make me one of your children. So we're going to enter into a time of invitation. And I just want you to contemplate, church, what we've heard. And if you need to pray with me or a pastor, I'll be down here up front. You respond however you need to respond, whether it's just reflecting, whether it's praying silently where you are, where it's coming forward. If you need to follow Christ today for the very first time, I want to encourage you to make that decision not to wait. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, I thank you for what you teach us about prayer. Lord, this sermon is uh, bigger than me, and it's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to all of us for how we need to grow in our trust of you, in our persistence, in our trust that you love us. And so, Holy Spirit, speak and do what you need to do draw us near to the Father's heart. Lord, if there's someone here who needs to trust in you for the very first time, Father, help them to do that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.